0: So let's just get right into that. And, and uh, I'd love for you to turn in your own Bibles. Um, I was going to have you turn to John 6, but I think for the moment we'll skip that. I want you to turn to Matthew 24. Um, I'm just going to reference John 6. Last week we started uh, talking about something, talking about those, those things that trip you up on the road, those things that cause you to stumble on the path that God's placed you on. I told you from the beginning that, that the phrase that really had, has been stuck on my heart and my mind that I believe God has, has spoken to us is this phrase that he says in John 6 when, when he said some things that were hard to hear and everybody started to leave and people were grumbling and he turned to his disciples and he said, does this cause you to stumble? Another translation says, does this offend you? Is this the thing that's going to trip you up? Is this the thing that's going to cause you to trip off the path you're on? And that's a very valid question that i got to be honest with you, God asks me that question regularly. I believe if you're listening, he'll ask you that too. Is this what's going to cause you to stumble? Does this cause you to stumble? And the reason that Jesus asks that question is because it doesn't have to cause you to stumble. You don't have to be offended. You know what I mean? The Bible talks about being offended as, I mean, it's translated often, literally when it says they took offense, it it literally in the original language says they tripped over him. They stumbled over him. So to to take offense is to trip, is to stumble. That, That phrase is often translated either to stumble, to trip, to take offense, or even to fall away. And I think that, That's applicable because there are times where you're right on the right path. You are headed where God's called you to be. You are set where he has set you. You have your feet planted or you have your feet moving, whatever he's telling you to do. And it's something that, whether it's the enemy or whether it's just something that comes up in life, there is something that's in your way that you trip over And you have a choice whether that's going to be the thing that's going to get you off the path, whether that's the thing that's going to get you out of what God's called you to do. You have a choice. And I know some people just don't like to hear those words, you have a choice. It it feels a lot better if I can just absolve myself of responsibility. And either I say God wanted me to fall away, or I say, well, the devil made me do it, or I say Eric made me do it. Then it's not my fault. It's not my fault, it's not my fault, it's not my fault. And listen, I'm not here trying to put fault on you, but I believe that God wants to empower you so that you don't have to be a puppet of circumstance. Mm -hmm. So that whether or not you're on the path is not dependent on what mood you were in, or whether someone was mean to you in the grocery store, or whether your car hit a pothole, all of these things should not be big enough to cause you to trip, right? And so the question that Jesus asks is, is this, does this cause you to stumble? Does this offend you? I want you to be empowered by the Spirit of God to be able to start saying, no, this doesn't. Just because it doesn't offend you doesn't mean it's not offensive. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Let, me, let me tell you a little story. Back in the 90s. I was here in the 90s. How many of you, anybody here, went to church here in the 90s? All right, we get some front row, boom, 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 boom. Cool, right on. You get, uh, there's a prize for you at the back. Um, <laughs> right on, you stuck it out. Um, back in the 90s, uh, I, I remember uh, our church did a, did a series on a fence. We didn't call things a series back then, it wasn't that cool or hip. Um, but we just started, you know, we dealt with offense because we realized it was something that just kept popping up. And in fact, if you were to go back to the founding of Lloyd Minster, do you know our great city was founded with a church split? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it goes down to the root. You want to know how long church has been splitting in Lloydminster From the very beginning of our city. That's right. And so it's a root here, you know, it's something people deal with. Now, granted, that happens all over the world, but you know, So in the 90s, there uh, there was just this great teaching and the church was really diving into, I'm not going to take offense. And it was really good. And I believe people took ownership and said, you know what, I I don't have to be offended about all this. I I don't have to let this throw me off. But then there was this little side thing that I started to notice. And now, mind you, I was just a kid. But I started to notice people using that in ways they shouldn't. So people said, you know, we're not gonna take offense, we're not gonna be offended. And then it kinda, there's a a couple people who felt that was their permission to be just brutally blunt. Just to say things they never would have said. And you know, like, I I I mean, those shoes are terrible. And and when you look like this, like they would say, well, I mean, don't take offense, remember? Don't take offense. You know, they used it as permission to be super offensive. And then say, well, don't take offense. But I'm just going to tell you, today, can we just say this from the top? Me telling you not to be offended does not give me the right to be offensive outside of what God tells us to say. You know what I'm saying? So the gospel is offensive. Jesus is offensive. And that's a good kind of offense. Do you know why? Because that's the kind of offense that will save your life. That's the kind of stumbling block that will keep you from walking straight off a cliff. But a lot of times, we can be offensive and trip people before they ever get to Jesus. And that's not what God called us to. And we'll talk about that another time. But I want to just put that disclaimer out there so that you just don't feel like, finally my chance finally my chance to tell everybody what I think and they can't get offended at me. Uh, No, it's not your chance. I I find that Jesus often has two totally different conversations. Many of you, you have kids. Uh, You ever have siblings that are fighting and they're both wrong? And you have two different conversations with them? And they'll say, well, I had to do it. They made me do it. And you go, no, they didn't make you do it. (laughs) Nobody can make you slug your sister. Nobody makes you do that. Nobody can make you do that. You go, okay. And the other siblings sitting there with that Cheshire cat grin like, mom says, I'm right. Dad says, I'm right. And then you turn to them and you go, you're wrong too. Right? And so I think God often has that conversation with us. He doesn't have the same conversation with you. If we have a, a married couple come to my office, it's very rare that just one person gets the brunt of, you know, this is all your fault. That never happens. Now, it's not always equal, but God always has something to say to both of us. That's not about fault. It's about him loving us enough to Get us back on track to, cor- to correct. What does the word correct mean? Think about it. Hidden in the word correct is the word erect, to make straight. To correct something is to take something crooked and make it straight again. And so listen, I want you to know that often what, what, what we find offensive is just the fact that we grew up in a twisted world and we come to Jesus and he says, I love you enough to straighten some things out in your life. And if you'll let me, I'll mold you. And it may sometimes feel like a trip to the chiropractor where it doesn't feel good at, at first, but in the end it's, it's, it's going to lead to some good things. So Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 24. He's speaking of the last days. He's speaking of what's going to happen um, to the disciples, what's going to happen to us. He says in verse 9, Matthew 24, 9, he says, Then they will deliver you into tribulation. They'll kill you. You'll be hated by all nations because of my name. That's great. <laughs> That's shouting ground. Um, We don't sing as many songs about that. In verse 10, it says, At that time, many will fall away and will betray one another and hate one another. Uh, My Bible says fall away, but for instance, the King James says many will be offended. It's that same phrase, to stumble, to trip, to be offended. Many will be offended. Many will fall away. Many will stumble. Many will trip. Do you know when Jesus says many, that's not supposed to refer to you, right? What he's saying is you will be in a culture of offense. You'll be in a society of people tripping and being offended and falling away, but it doesn't have to be you. He says many will betray one another, many will hate one another, and let's just deal with that for a minute. Let's deal with what hate means. Because a lot of times we think that hate means I actively want someone dead. I can't stand the sight of them. But really, hate is when your love is gone. Hate doesn't always look like someone, you know, trying to kill you. Sometimes hate just means you have no love for this person. And he says, many will hate one another. Many false prophets will arise and will mislead many. And because lawlessness is increased, most people's love will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end, he will be saved. The gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So he says, because lawlessness is increased, in other words, when people have, have walked away from my word, what's going to happen is their love is going to grow cold. And when your love has grown cold, so... so I mean, why, what would keep my love from going cold? It's going back to what he told me to do. When I go back to his word, my love is supposed to stay strong. But when people walk away from God's command, when they walk away from his word, their love begins to grow cold. And when their love grows cold, it's easy for them to be offended. It's easy for them to betray one another. It's easy for them to hate one another. And we would like to think that this just happens in the world. It doesn't happen here. But, but listen, I've been a pastor for 14 years, but I've been a Christian for a lot longer. And I've seen it enough times. People who knew what they were called to do. People who knew where they were supposed to be. People who knew why, you know, I'm supposed to be part of this group. I'm supposed to be part of this church. I'm supposed to be part of this family. I'm supposed to be connected. They're dislodged because of offense. Let me say this off the top. I think sometimes there is a reason. I don't believe everybody's supposed to stay in the same church for the rest of their life. The same gathering, right? Because we are his church. We're not always supposed to stay in the same gathering for the rest of your life. Sometimes God moves you because of location. Sometimes God moves you because there's a new thing starting that you need to be a part of. And he wants, you're supposed to help. And best case scenario is... You're blessed as you go out. You know that that you're sent out. There's a big difference between being sent and just leaving. Sometimes you have a Paul and Barnabas situation. And if you don't know the reference I'm referring to, let me me explain it to you. When Paul and Barnabas were on a mission trip together, they, they went on the first grand Christian mission trip. Paul and Barnabas were sent out by the church in Antioch by the command of the Holy Spirit The Holy Spirit said to the church, God said this to them, set apart Paul and Barnabas for my mission. They're going to go. So set them apart. They're going to go together. And they were the best team. They were a really good team. It was, in fact, Barnabas that first kind of vouched for Paul when the other disciples didn't trust this guy. It was Barnabas that stood up for him. Barnabas had a, you know, that wasn't even his real name. Barnabas was his nickname, which meant son of encouragement. Can you imagine being so good at encouraging people that that's just what we start calling you? That's who Barnabas was. And Paul and Barnabas take Barnabas's nephew, John Mark, on a mission trip. Not on a mission trip, on the mission trip. This is their life. And they're at the tip of the spear. They're going where nobody's gone before. They're going where the gospel's never been preached before. And as they go... John Mark starts getting homesick. He starts really feeling like this isn't the life for me. I I don't know if I can cut it. And Paul says, get that mama's boy out of here. We're not doing this anymore. John Mark, go home. And Barnabas says, I really feel like we can work with this kid. Paul says, no, we can't. Barnabas says, yes, we can. I don't know how many times they went back and forth. But they fought about it. And the Bible says, so they finally just split ways. Now, when I read that, depending on what mood I'm in, either I see that as a tragedy or a victory. I see it as a bit tragic because they were such a great team. But I also know by the end of the, you know, I mean, as we just keep reading on in the New Testament, later on, John Mark becomes super helpful to the church. And in fact, Paul writes a letter later in his life, and he says, send John Mark to me. He is a, he's really useful for me. So something happened when Barnabas took John Mark home and spent time with him and encouraged him that caused this young man to be useful to the ministry. But at the same time, Paul knew there are places I'm going where if you're not fully 100% in, you're not going to last. So who's right, Paul or Barnabas? They're both right and probably are both little wrong. Sometimes you just have to live with that uncomfortability that not everybody's 100% right and not everybody's 100% wrong. But they split ways. Well, in the end, God got his way. Paul still went on a great mission trip, had brought other people along. Barnabas went, went back, encouraged John Mark. John Mark became a great guy. So in the end, it worked out. So sometimes you get to a point in a church where no matter how hard you try, you just can't see eye to eye. And eventually, the best thing for you is just to go this way. I don 't think that that should be a regular thing in your life. I don 't think that that should be something you say, well, yeah, three years, that 's about my limit. <laughs> because I think if that's your attitude, it, you know John Mar- I sorry, Barnabas and Paul didn't split because things got uncomfortable. I guarantee you I've been on mission trips with people. Things get uncomfortable way before that. <laughs> I mean, there there are times, listen, even, I mean, we get to fly in airplanes. I can't imagine what Paul and Barnabas had to do to get from place to place. But even flying on an airplane with somebody, by the end of that trip, by the time you get to China, you are done with this close proximity with somebody. Amen. Amen. I've slept. I've shared a bed with people. Just... Other guys, all right? Completely. Uh, 2019. <laughs> I didn't have to explain this stuff in 1995. Anyways, we, we've had to share a cot or share a floor with people. And believe me, you know, after a while of just living in close proximity where the, the, the toilet is a hole in the ground and the mosquitoes all carry malaria, you get tired of people. But God didn't say when it gets uncomfortable, walk away. What I found is, if you are willing to stick it out with the people God puts you together with, if you're willing to stay where God sets you, it's when things get uncomfortable, it's when the fights happen, it's when things get awkward, that finally Christ is being formed in you. When you choose love... Over abandonment, when you choose to say, No, I, I'm not letting go of what God put here, when you choose that, that's when the greatest victories happen. That's when you become more like Jesus. So embrace that. The Bible says that God set us in the body where He desired. And a question I often ask people that end up at church, or sometimes don't ask it as much as we should. But it's a simple question. Why are you here? And not everybody has a brilliant answer, and I don't think you have to have a brilliant answer, but at some point you need to ask yourself the question, why am I at this church? See, if I'm, if I'm here because I like the music, that won't keep you. At some point we'll stop playing music you like. If I'm here because I, I enjoy the preaching, at some point it'll get old. If I'm here because I have friends that go here, you may not always be friends. You have to ask yourself, why did God put me here? Did God put me here? Did God put me here? Well, it's the closest one to my house. Well, what if we move? What if you move? Did God put me here? If God put me here, I should probably stay until he tells me to go. If God put me here, I should probably stay past the point of I don't feel comfortable or I don't like these people or I'm not enjoying this. I should probably say God if you put me here I'm going to be here. You'd be amazed why people what 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 small things can drag somebody out of the place that God set them. We've had people that left the church cuz the paint the wall was painted the wrong color. Mm-hmm. It's not even a joke, I'm serious. Painted the, painted the wall a certain color. I'm out of here. And I guess the question that I would ask myself if I was in that situation was, is this what's going to cause me to stumble? This? I've had conversations with people. I've had interactions with people where I had every opportunity to be offended. But I could hear that voice. I could hear that statement as I, got, I drove away in my car, fuming. You know how you have those little private conversations where you're a genius? <laughs> and where conveniently they say everything that sets you up for your great point. And in the car, I'm arguing with myself in the mirror. And I hear that voice, is this going to cause you to stumble? Is this what can offend you? Is this all it takes to offend you? Is this what it's going to take? And I I want us to be the kind of people that say, no, it doesn't offend me. I'm not saying it doesn't offend me because it's not offensive. People are going to say and do offensive things. I'm going to say it doesn't offend me because it's not bigger than what God has said. It's not bigger than what God is doing. It's not bigger than God's mission for my life. So no, this will not cause me to stumble. Peter says something in his letter that's just brilliant. He starts talking about, you know, he starts talking about these spiritual disciplines and fruit in your life and he says if you'll do this, in fact let's, let's just read it real quick, I'd love for you to see it with your own eyes in 1st Peter sorry, 2nd Peter, 2nd Peter chapter 1 and verse 5 he says And he starts out at the beginning of the chapter, beginning of the book, beginning of the letter. He says that God has called you to partake in his divine nature. You've become a sharer in his divine nature. You have God's nature in you. That's amazing. Then he goes on and he says in in verse 5, and I'm just going to get through this quick. He says, for this very reason, applying all diligence, which means it's going to take effort on your part, in your faith, supply moral excellence. In your moral excellence, knowledge. In your knowledge, self-control. Man, if people would just realize that those go together. The more you know, the more you need to control yourself. Have you ever thought, have you ever noticed that old people, like when they get really old, they're either really grumpy or really happy? (laughs) Why do you think that is? They made a choice. At some point, you're going to have so much information that either you're going to be annoyed by everything or you're going to say, this doesn't bother me. At some point, you've lived enough life that everything's going to bug you if you let it. So the happy ones, they've chosen. I don't have to have an opinion about this. This doesn't have to bug me. You know what Jesus said? I don't have an opinion about something unless the Father does. Oh, guys, how that would set you free in your life. Oh man, would it change Facebook for you. (laughs) I don't have to have an opinion about this. Not only would it set you free, but I think you need to say that. You need to make this decision. I'm not going to have an opinion about stuff unless I have to, unless God tells me to. Now, I can have an opinion about sports, whatever. I can have an opinion about music I like, but really, I'm not going to let these things make me angry. I'm not going to let them frustrate me. In fact, I've got a basic rule. I am never going to be outraged by something I get on social media. Yeah. Now, you, it sounds simple, but we have major church issues that come out of somebody getting ticked off at Facebook. Let me just tell you a secret. It's not really a secret, but maybe it's a secret to you. Outrage... We live in a culture that's addicted to outrage. Mm -hmm. And outrage is the number one way to get you to click on something. Companies make money when you click on their articles. Companies make money when you click on their feed. And the number one way, they've done the studies. People, more than stuff that makes you happy, more than stuff that makes you smile or laugh, the number one way to get people engaged is to make them mad. So you know what they start to do? build headlines around things that tick you off. And you know what the wonderful thing is? Most of these social media sites are built on an algorithm now, which doesn't feed you every bit of information because you'd be overloaded. It feeds you what they learn you like. So you live in an echo chamber, so if you're always getting ticked off at stuff, it keeps sending you things that will tick you off. (laughs) I can't tell you how much of that stuff isn't actually true. Yeah. I'm getting the same Christian chain mail I got when we were an AOL. Missed that reference? Don't know AOL? <laughs> like back in the day with the dial-up modem. You know, when, when you had to dial up a modem and nobody could call you, Liberty, get off the phone. You know, I got to get, and, and it takes you, five minutes to download a picture. You remember that? Yeah. I would, I, there are some emails I would get then that were like, the church needs to act. They're counseling Touched by an Angel. Uh, uh, the church needs to act. They're making a play about Jesus where he's a Satanist, you know? All of this, I'm still getting the same things on social media. I still get the same. And, and, and people at the end, they say, it's time to act. We need to sign this petition. And you never know whether to lovingly tell them That's a hoax, and it's been a hoax for 15 years. Or just mute them. Mm -hmm. But I've learned that people like to be outraged. You know what James says? Oh, man, this is a big one. James wrote this in the book of James. He said, everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Listen to this. For the anger of men does not achieve the righteousness of God. Mm -hmm. Do you hear that? The righteousness of God is God's way of doing things. And you'll never get to God's way by being ticked off man's way. The anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Have you ever thought of what it might look like for you to be slow to anger? It means you're hard to tick off, you're hard to offend. Slow to anger. I don't have to be mad about this. My favorite sports team right now is doing so bad. I'm not, no, I'm not making up a metaphor. Is this real life? Last night they tied zero zero, and we celebrated. That's how bad it is. That's how bad in Minnesota, that's how bad this is. My wife comes in, "How are the white caps today?" Oh, they tied zero, zero. She goes, "Oh good." And I'm like,. Oh. This is what it's come to. And me, like a fool, I'm having a fine day. Let's go on Twitter and see what people are saying about the Whitecaps. Maybe they made a trade. And everybody's furious pitchforks out, mad. And I start feeling it. Ownership, management. And I think this is a game that's happening hundreds of miles from me. It's a game. Grown men or putting on matching shirts, (laughs) kicking a ball around. I've put my Bible down, feeling blessed, feeling like God said something to me, and then I stupidly open my phone and go, I feel good. I shouldn't do that too much. What's happening in Whitecaps land? (laughs) Some missionaries, some Christians right now, all over the world, their big issue Is that somebody's gonna break down their door with a machete? My big issue probably shouldn't be that the guys with the matching shirts aren't kicking the ball in the other net. (laughs) Is that what's gonna cause me to stumble? But we invite this to ourselves. Why? We get bored. And when you get bored, what do you want to do? You want to tickle that part of your brain that feels, feels energized. How do I feel energized? Either I let God speak to me, which would apply me digging into his word and listening for his voice, or I go the easy way and just say, what, are we, what did Trudeau do today? <laughs> right? <laughs> What's everybody saying? And what we've done is we've flipped the shepherd scenario where Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd. My sheep know my voice. And they don't know the voice of strangers. What he's saying is they hear my voice more than they hear anybody else's voice. When we flip it and we hear other voices more than the voice of Jesus, you're led by those other voices. You will be led by the voices you hear the most. So if you want to be led by God, listen to his voice more than anything. You want to be led by Jesus? Get into His Word more than anything. I want to say that again. What James said: be slow to anger, slow to speak. You know why? Because usually the first thing you want to say is not what God told you to say. That's right. Slow to speak and slow to anger. It should be hard to make you mad, because the anger of God does not achieve the righteousness of God. Well, somebody might say, "Well, what about Jesus?" Getting a whip out, kicking the money changers out of the temple, turning tables over. I want you to know that was not Jesus losing his temper. In fact, the truth is much scarier. One of the Gospels tells it this way Jesus went in, saw people being ripped off by the money changers. Because what the money changers were doing was saying, You can't give that kind of money in the temple, you have to give our special money and what do you know the exchange rate is terrible so pay us this money and we'll give you this they were selling sacrificial doves and other animals for exorbitant prices they were robbing people in the name of God taking advantage of worshipers one of the gospels tells us that Jesus left and went and made himself a whip just imagine yourself being one of these disciples rabbi what, what you doing <laughs> Rabbi, what, what are you doing right now? I'm making a whip. What for? Going back to the temple. <laughs> this isn't Jesus losing his cool. This is Jesus coldly and calculatingly <laughs> making himself a weapon. Now if that doesn't freak you out a little bit. But there's a, there's a key phrase that Jesus uses, and it is, My house. So if you feel that God's called you to turn tables over in church, I think you have to ask, is it my house? Jesus has the right because he says, this is my house. And it's going to be called the house of prayer. It's not your house. It's his house. So let him do the cleaning. Maybe leave your whip at home. I want to get back to the word here. Let's get back to 2 Peter where we left off. He says, in your moral excellence, knowledge. In your knowledge, self-control. You don't have to fly off. You don't have to feel everything that enters your soul. In your self-control, perseverance. In your perseverance, godliness. In your godliness, brotherly kindness. You ever see those two things together? I don't, I don't hear a lot of Christians super pumped up about phrases like brotherly kindness. But it is right next to godliness in this verse, isn't it? What's going to come out of godliness is a family kindness. Wow. And this brings us to a point that we're going to come back to, but let's finish reading this. For if these qualities, and in your brother kind, brotherly kindness, love... If these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. What's the key to being fruitful in his kingdom? What's the key to not being useless? The answer may surprise you. It's putting these things into your life. And then the last one being the big one, love. He says, if you have this and you're increasing in this, you're not useless, you're not unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord, in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. So what do I need to remember? What he's saying is, when you remember that you are righteous by the blood of Jesus, then you will pursue righteousness. You will live righteously. You've got to go back to who I am. Who am I? And somebody that falls back into the world's way of reacting has forgotten who they are. In fact, the verse I quoted you from James, he goes on and says, for it's like, he says we need to be doers and not just hearers of the word because somebody who just hears the word and doesn't do it is like somebody that looks into the mirror and then walks away and forgets who they are. Mm -hmm. This is about knowing who you are. And he says in verse 10, Therefore, brothers and sisters, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, do you hear me? What does practice mean? It means you do it. It's already there. God's already given it to you. Now do it. As long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. You'll never be offended. You'll never fall away. You'll never trip up on the path God put you on. What a a powerful statement. You will never stumble. You will never stumble. God has already given you everything pertaining to life and godliness. You don't have to trip over this. That argument that somebody had with you, the things they said about you behind your back, the things you think they did, the things you think they're thinking, it does not have to trip you up. That doesn't absolve them of their part in it. But it's not your job to judge them anyways. You're not the judge. And in fact, when I realize how much I've been forgiven and purified from my former sins, I certainly don't need to hold it over your head. And so no matter what you say to me, and this is something that's helped me greatly in life, I've learned this. I'm always going to react to Jesus more than I react to anyone else. Think about this. We've said this before. What kind of conversations would you have if Jesus were in the little circle talking with you? Right? I hear people get quiet when I walk up. Forget Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> how, would, how would your interactions change if Jesus were right there? How would you talk to your spouse if Jesus were sitting on the couch watching you? Right? And the only difference is you could see him. He is there, he is here. Our awareness of Christ changes everything. And so when I react to his presence more than I react to you, I'm going to react in love. When I react to the fact that he loves me, I'll love you. When I react to the fact that he's forgiven me, I'll forgive you. And often we're tricked, we're trapped into reacting to each other rather than reacting to God. Sometimes we've heard people say, you know, like, devil's really using them to get to me. Devil's really using, devil really used that person. The enemy really used that person today. They said some things that really offended me. The enemy really used them. And you know, I don't like that kind of talk because what you're doing is you just basically called another believer. You, you basically said they're being used by the devil, which is a strong claim. Most of the time, it's not the enemy speaking through them. It's the enemy perverting what you're hearing. And he's real good at it. The devil is not a creator. He's a perverter, right? So he perverts what you hear. Listen, you know who the devil quotes more than anybody? God. The devil's really good at perverting scripture. Listen, if he can pervert what God says, I bet he can pervert what Arlene says. Right? I mean, he immediately got in the garden. Think about it. Adam and Eve. Immediately he gets in there and says, you know, to Eve, you remember what God said? I'm not sure he didn't mean that. I'm sure this is what he meant. I'm sure it wouldn't hurt if you did this. Now, he can do that with God's command. Don't you think he can do that after you have a conversation with another believer? Don't you think you can get in the car and the enemy immediately says, I bet what they really meant was, uh, <laughs> it's a good thing. You don't have any real responsibility in the church because nobody can trust you. I bet what they really meant was this. I bet what they really meant when they said that your kid is quite the character is that nobody can control your kid. Your kid is terrible in children's church. I think that's what they meant. I, I, bet, I bet when they said you, you wear in- interesting clothes every week, I bet what they meant was you dress like a weirdo. I bet that's what they meant. That's probably what they meant. <laughs> that's probably what they meant. <laughs> But even if it is, is that going to cause you to stumble? I want you to ask yourself this question. Is this enough to make me stop walking in love? Because some evil men and women, mostly men. Sorry, it's the book. Some evil people nailed Jesus to the cross. Before they put him there, they ripped his beard out blindfolded him and beat him and said, hey, (laughs) prophet, prophesy, who hit you? Paraded him around town, put him on two illegal trials, made him, after he had been whipped within inches of his life, suffered massive blood loss, made him carry a giant wooden cross to his own execution site, finally hung him on the cross, which is one of the most sadistic and painful ways to die. And while he's there, mocked him in his identity. They didn't just say, I'm glad you're suffering. They mocked his very identity, who he was as the son of God. And after all that, Jesus says, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. If all of those things that were intentionally cruel could not drag Jesus out of the love of God, What is big enough to drag you out of the love of God? If all of that, and I want you to go ahead and use that as your scale. If if all those things they did to Jesus could not drag him out of his identity, could not drag him out of the love of God, the truth of who God, why God sent him, the truth of who he was, could not, listen, he was not reacting to the Pharisees. He did not react to the Romans. He reacted to the Father. And if all of that couldn't keep him off his path, what in the world is big enough to take you off yours? What in the world is big enough to take you out of the love of God? I want you to say, is this going to cause me to stumble? And your answer can be no. You know, sometimes when we talk about this stuff, if I can be blunt, and we're going to wrap up soon, but if I can be blunt, sometimes when we talk about these topics, some people tune out not because they don't like it, but because they figure they already know it. Can we talk about something more exciting? Can we talk about something I've never heard before? Because the problem is we think when we come to church, we're supposed to hear something we've never heard before. Right? And I want to just tell you that the goal of instruction and teaching is not just to tell you things you've never heard before. If that were the case, then half of you here probably shouldn't have come at all because you've heard a lot of sermons. It's not about what you don't know. And when we say that, what we're really saying is, I came here for my brain to be tickled. I didn't come from my spirit to be fed. I came from my brain to be tickled. Tell me something I don't know. Tell me that when I hold the Hebrew Bible backwards in a mirror and I play this song, I play Led Zeppelin's Dark Side of the Moon, and I, 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 I do all this, that I'll get a secret revelation from God. You know, we want some trick we've never heard. When often what Jesus is saying, he's not telling you something you never heard. He's, he's, the goal of the instruction is not to teach you something you didn't know. Sometimes that's the case. But sometimes it's not to tell you something you don't know. It's to tell you something you're not living in to the fullest. And it set you free. Don't you know when Jesus set someone free, he didn't set them free by giving them a secret they didn't know. But he spoke with authority. I believe today that the power and presence of God is big enough in this church today and everywhere to set you free from the spirit of offense that keeps you constantly isolating yourself from other believers. It keeps you from fully walking on what God called you to, whether it's out of fear or whether it's out of offense or intimidation or whatever it is. Or it keeps you bouncing from group to group. It keeps you bouncing from situation to situation because you can never stand there and just say, this is where God set me and this is where I'll stay until he tells me to go. But instead, it's been easy to knock you out of your set place. And I say this not to condemn you, but that you may be free. You don't have to be offended. You don't have to be. You don't have to be outraged. You don't don't have to have an opinion about every little thing. You can be free to be led by the Spirit of God. Let me tell you something. You want to learn about prophecy? You want to learn about all the spiritual gifts? Here's what Paul said. If I I operated in these gifts so much that I knew all the secrets, I knew all knowledge and all wisdom. He said I operated in pinpoint prophetic power. He said, but if I didn't have love, it'd be like, Clanging symbol. Some people say, well, I want, I want us, I'm want—I tired of just hearing about this love stuff. I want us to just, you know, talk about strategies to reach the city, strategies to feed the poor. Praise God, that's awesome too. All these things are good. That's awesome. But Paul said, if I gave all my money to the poor and I gave my body to be burned, but it did not have love, it would profit me nothing. See, it's no coincidence that in every book of the New Testament, this is the topic we keep coming back to. Because though it is foundational, it's something you're going to be mastering for the rest of your life. Though it is foundational, it's foundational for a reason. Everything else is built on it. There's a reason in 1 Corinthians 2 that Paul says there are deep things God wants to say to you. There are deep things God wants to do among you. There are spiritual mysteries he wants to speak to you. But then he says, I can't talk to you about these things until we get this straight. You're still acting like babies because you're still fighting. Do you realize if we want to be the kind of church that operates in that Luke 4, the spirit of the Lord has anointed us to do this and that's my heart that the word church would be about that that the city the church in the city of Lloydminster would be about that but if that's what we want to be like then we have to get this right some people say well let's talk about evangelism what does jesus say the greatest sort the greatest the greatest way people are going to know who i am and who the father is is by seeing your unity your oneness your love for another You can't skip this part. So we go back to it because the scripture says that the way to walk in all the fullness of Christ is to first be rooted and grounded in love. Some people want to walk in the fullness of God, but they're not grounded in love. And the truth is, you might have a couple of moments of zip, boom, pow, but then you blow away because there's no roots. Being rooted and grounded in love, we may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the height, the depth, the breadth, the width, and to know the knowledge of God which surpasses knowledge, that we may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Isn't that amazing? The goal is to know his love. And when we know it, we live in it. When we live in it, other people know it through us. So it may seem simple. It may seem like I know all of that, but if you, once again, I'll, I'll just use a parenting analogy. As a parent, you don't just tell your kids what they've never heard before. Often the instruction and the correction you give them is not about what they've never heard. It's about what they need to be doing again. You know, the Bible says, Paul said that there's going to be in the last days a whole bunch of people that are going to get off on dumb topics. He says, they're going to think that they're experts and stuff that they shouldn't be experts of. They're going to get off on these little side issues and big, you know, theories. And he said, it, it does nothing for the kingdom. It does nothing for the administration of God. It does nothing for God's work except breed more questions. He says, but the goal of our instruction is love and faith from a pure heart, a sincere faith. Isn't that amazing? This is at the end of his life. The reason we instruct people is that Christ may be formed in them, is that they would look like Jesus more than they did yesterday. So I want us to be the kind of people that can say, I'm not easily offended. I'm not easily angered. You're not going to see me fly off the handle. Listen, today, if you have a problem with your temper, God's got the answer to your temper. It's a fruit of the Spirit. It's called self-control. But it is a fruit of the Spirit, right? Come on, guys. We can't have the fruit of the Spirit without giving ourselves and surrendering to the Spirit of God. I want to tell you that I've known people in my life who said, I've been with God. Oh, I've spent time deep in the presence of God. And when I come out with the presence of God, I can't be around people. Oh, they annoy me. Oh, oh, Well, I don't know who's hiding in your prayer closet, but it's not God. Because John says this, he says, if anybody says they know God but they don't love their brother, they are a liar. If you have been spending time with God, you're going to come out acting like him. You're going to come out having the feelings that he has. You're going to have the fruit. If you've been spending time with the Spirit, you're going to have the fruit of the Spirit. So do we want to be a church that operates in the gifts of the Spirit? Absolutely. But the gifts of the Spirit without the fruit of the Spirit are abusive and damaging. It won't last. We just want the spirit. We want God. So today I want to challenge you. There have been, there probably for all of us have been stuff we just keep hitting ourselves against, relationships we never get past. And let me tell you something, maybe you think I'm not easily offended, I just walk away, I just don't talk to that person anymore. If what they've said, if what they've done causes you not to fellowship with them anymore, not to talk to them, not to be around them, I'll give you a secret, you've been offended. Just because you don't yell at them, just because you don't talk smack about them, doesn't mean you're not offended. If if it broke off that connection between the body, it's offended you. And here's what Jesus said in Matthew. He said something very simple. Matthew chapter 18, he says, if someone has done you wrong, if if someone's offended you, if someone's hurt you, if someone's sinned against you, go to them. Go to them. I truly believe if we as a church could, could just obey Jesus in this area? There'd be things we nip in the bud a lot sooner. Because I've sat, I've sat downstairs in a session with people and go, if you guys had talked to each other like at the beginning of all this, it never would have got so far. But you just made assumptions and, and thought this person was saying this and thought this person was doing that, and you never talked to each other. And this could have ended a long time ago. Jesus says, if they won't receive you when you talk to them, bring an elder. If they still won't, and it's agreed that this person's in the wrong, then you move it up the line. But the first thing you got to do is talk to them. Not for every little thing, right? Not for every little thing, like the, the shoe they wore bug you. Like, don't, you don't need to talk to them. <laughs> I found if we obey the law of love in 1 Corinthians 13, which says love believes all things and hopes all things, if I would believe the best about people, I'd get offended a lot less. So today I want to encourage you that I believe this is key to where God wants to lead us in 2019 and 2020. I believe God wants you to move into deeper and greater things. But I do believe, and I said this last week, we're all going to go up together. You are not here as a consumer. You didn't come to get a good message, a nice song, and a tickle from the Spirit. We came because God put us together as a body. That's worth fighting for. It's worth fighting for. It's worth laying our lives for, down for. Something happened to me, and, and we're just going to see where God takes us after this, but something happened as we were worshiping God I don't remember what song it was, but we were just in in worship. And, you know, my instinct is that during those times of worship, um, I'm only thinking about God. I'm just thinking about him and that I would naturally feel a great sense of affection and love for him. But something else happened. God did something in me just this morning where as we were worshiping, I felt... Something that I felt on a plane from Houston to Edmonton when I first knew I was called to be a pastor. And it was such an intense love for this body. Such an intense love for you guys. I think sometimes we tell ourselves if we're worshiping God and we just feel love for him, but I know you know this, but if we're going to love God, it means we're going to love each other. And God did something, I believe it was supernatural. He expanded my heart again. He enlarged my heart and He filled it. And I want to tell you, that's the thing that keeps me pastoring. If you think pastoring is a good job for, for, God, for a job's sake, <laughs> get another job. It's not a job, like everything that we do, and you do as well, it's not a job to calling. This is why I do what I do. This is why. This is how. And every gift, you all have gifts in this room. Everybody who's a believer has gifts in your life. And every gift you have works by faith and love. Because every gift is a gift of grace. And grace is obtained by faith and faith works by love. So if we can't walk in love, we can't walk in grace. Grace. If we can't walk in humility, we can't walk in grace. If we can't walk in these things, you will not see the gifts of God working in your life. But if you will let love be your motivator, then it'll overcome the world because it's born of God. Stand with me today. and We're going to pray.